This is Real Estate Rookie Show number 35. So then I was able to add a fourth bedroom. The great thing about renting out per bedroom is to college students is sometimes you can get two people in one bedroom. And usually I charge about 30% more for the place. Ashley Kerr, and I'm here with my co-host, Felipe Mejia. And speaking of five from our show, 35, is Felipe and I always talk about how he takes his son to, what is it, five below or five and under? What's yeah, that five store? below. And then I take my kids to the dollar store. So I took my kids to the dollar store last night. They had to get decorations, decorate this bucket for school. So... <laughs> I get, we're in the car this morning and we need to give $5 to the teacher. And my son had a bunch of dollars still left from the dollar store in the back seat with him. And I was like, okay, count out $5. And he's like, okay, I have it. Do you think I should give her a tip though? Because I have some extra dollars. And I'm like, do you want to? And he's like, yeah, I, I do want to give her a tip. I'm like, okay, go on. So he was going to tip his teacher for uh, buying him a Lowe's five-gallon bucket to decorate. Well, I think that's awesome. I think uh, teachers deserve yeah. as much as they yes, can. They yes. are lifesavers. Yeah. And I think now during the pandemic, <laughs> I think parents can appreciate more the teachers. And I think that's awesome. But we don't have a teacher today on the show. We have Ryan Chaw. He's in the medical field, but he's not a doctor, right? What did he he's say? He's a pharmacist. A pharmacist. That's right. So he's a Pediatric full-time pharmacist, pharmacist yeah. a full-time real estate investor. He's got student housing and he gives us his hacks, what he does, how he finds his tenants, how he sets them up, how he's systemized to where they have control of the house when there's repairs. It's some great knowledge and things that I, even I'm going to probably implement going forward. Yeah, you need to because he had really great tips as to how to make like like lessen the headache of self-managing. And he also talked about prime and he goes into detail as to what letter means when he's identifying the type of tenant for his unit or screening them and getting information from them. He talks about how he checks their social media pages using this prime. I don't even know what would you call it? Slogan or acronym, I guess. Yeah. Yep. Remember when you had to pay to get a Leeds phone number? It was like the dark ages. Until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right. Get high-quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal do-not-call list. Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com BP. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com slash BP. Remember when you had to pay to get a lead's phone number? It was like the dark ages. Until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right. Get high quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal do not call list. Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com BP. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com slash BP. Are current interest rates making you depressed about cash flow? What if it didn't have to be that way? Rent to Retirement has 2.99% seller financing available on turnkey properties. You heard that right. That's a seller financed 2.99% interest rate where the average cash flow is over $900 per month. They also have options where you can put as low as 5% down on multiple investment properties with no PMI. 
rent to retirement is the nation's leading turnkey investment company that understands what it takes to be successful in today's dynamic real estate market. Their reputation speaks for itself with more five-star reviews than any other company on the BiggerPockets website. Rent to Retirement offers fully turnkey properties that are newly built or renovated, leased and managed, allowing you to invest with confidence in the markets that offer the best returns. To learn more, visit renttoretirement.com. That's renttoretirement.com. Or text REI to 33777. Again, text REI to 33777. Hey, Ryan, welcome to the show. Super glad you're here, man. How are you? Hey, I'm doing great. It's sunny day in California. I'm jealous. Nice. It's I cold it. here. <laughs> Same. Oh, yeah. It's super cold here in Nashville. It's, uh, it, it, I woke up. I, I feel like right now the weather is like you wake up in the morning, you put on a certain clothes, and then you regret it by lunchtime because it's too hot. That's what's <laughs> happened to me so far. <laughs> oh, man. That's funny. You're lucky you get that great you get that great weather out there. Yeah. Yeah. Ryan, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you guys started in real estate investing. Yeah, so I'm actually a pediatric pharmacist right now and I invest in real estate on the side. I first got uh, interested in real estate from my grandpa actually. He inspired me when he bought a few properties in the Bay Area. And this was back before Silicon Valley was a big thing, right? So they were dirt cheap, but as we all know, over time, the properties went up in price like crazy and he retired a multimillionaire. And not only that, he was able to help pay for part of my college tuition and that of my brothers as well. So I saw that real estate really is one of the best ways to create generational wealth. And so when I started in 2015, uh, graduated with my doctorate of pharmacy, I wanted to get started pretty much right away. And so I bought my first property uh, in 2016. I worked a lot of overtime and I worked six to seven days a week and two jobs to save up that capital to just get started as soon as possible. And then from there, I bought one property every year over the course of four years. And now I'm uh, 28 years old and I have four single family homes with 18 tenants. And when it's fully occupied, I make $10,755 per month in rental income. That's wow. great. It sounds, like, it sounds like you have your numbers down tight. Are you are you an Excel spreadsheet type of guy, Ryan? I am definitely. Oh I got my like gosh. deal analysis calculators and yeah. everything. Ashley <laughs> knows this about me, but but that would yeah. stress me out, man. Yeah. So I have partners for all my deals and like they handle all the numbers portion of it because like if you ask me what my cash flow is, I could tell you that, but anything else, like I would have no yeah. idea. You can't forget your wife too, Felipe. She oh, does your spreadsheets too. <laughs> That's my partner. That's who I'm talking about. Oh, oh uh. There oh, you go. Okay. <laughs> Ryan, so before we dig into a deal that you might have for us to talk about, uh, let's talk about that. How important would you say knowing your numbers is in real estate investing? Uh, yeah, it's definitely very important because you have to make sure the property cash flows. If you uh, get like a negative cash flowing property, then you could... If you, especially if you don't have tenants, you could, it could put you underwater, right? So I buy properties that for the right price, I don't actually invest in my current town, which is Sacramento, because the properties here are like $500,000. Instead, I go about an hour away to Stockton, where the prices are 300000 where the cash flow makes a lot more sense. And so even if there's a huge recession and my properties go down in price by $100,000, as long as I'm making that positive cash flow, it doesn't matter as much because I can just hold on to it forever and eventually the properties will be paid off and obviously the market will come back and the, the prices will rise again so i'm not afraid of a recession and that's why it's so important to have those cash flowing properties as kind of just a preventative so you don't have worry about a market turndown ryan you said that your properties are an hour away from where you live what made you decide to, besides the difference in pricing, what, I guess, made you take action? A lot of people have fear of going outside of their market that they know so well. Uh, what made you take that leap? And was there any analysis paralysis? And how did you pick that market specifically? Yeah, I definitely. I had a lot of analysis paralysis. It's actually, it went on for like six months. I was like thinking <laughs> about it. I actually had that 20% ready six months ago. And I was like, I don't know if I could do this. And then some of my friends were like, it's risky to get into real estate, you know, with the market tanks or what lot, whatnot. And you don't want to deal with tenants and all that type of stuff. So I definitely dealt with all of that. But at some point I just got tired and I was like, you know what? 
My grandpa was able to make it work. I'm just going to just get in there and then I'll figure it out along the way rather than waiting forever to time the market. And so I guess it's, it's just like, just do it kind of mindset that you have to have. And then just, you know, along the way, you're flexible. It's like what Bruce Lee says, be like water. Water basically takes the form of the container it's in. So basically, whatever comes up, you can, you know, be flexible and pivot to make your strategy work. And I invest in college towns. I actually invested in the place I went to pharmacy school. So I was able to rent out the houses per bedroom to essentially double the expected rental income that I would be making on these properties. So for me, it made a lot of sense to invest in a town that's an hour away that has a lot of college students and a lot of great quality college students as well. You're right. And I like what you said a minute ago. I'm going to backtrack a little bit where you talked about your rent and how even in a recession, even if the value of the property goes down, it goes up, it's irrelevant, right? Because your goal is the cash flow. And as long as the mortgage is getting paid and your cash coming in is plus what the mortgage is, then you're going to be fine, right? What you don't want to do is have a negative cash flow from the beginning for then your value of your property goes down. So does your cash flow, so does the rents, and then it's a disaster. But if your cash flow can hold your property through a recession, you're not going to lose anything because you're not going to sell the property. Now, if you go in, there's a recession and you sell the property, well then obviously you're going to want you're going to lose money. The goal is to keep the property through the recession because it's going to bounce back two or three times more on the other end. And historically, we've seen that, you know, through 08, through 91, through 80 something, like we've always seen that real estate bounce back twice as hard, but the cash flow is what keeps you alive during that time. So I love that you said that. And I think a lot of times investors, especially rookies, when they're in the game, they're like, well, what if the value of the property goes down? And then, you know, I lose all my money. I'm like, friend, you don't lose any money during a recession. You lose the money when you sell the property. If you have the right CapEx, you have the right reserves and emergency fund for the property, you're going to be able to ride the market and the cash flow should keep you through and through, right? So I love that you said that. I think it's a great strategy. Ryan, I know you mentioned you have four properties now, but will you give us a quick elevated view of what your portfolio looks now? What's your niche of investing? And then we'll get into a rookie deal that you have for us. Yeah, that's a great point you made, by the way. Real estate is truly a buy then wait game rather than a wait then buy game because you really like don't that. want to try to time the market, right? Instead, just buy, get the asset now. And every month that goes by, you're getting that rental income and that cash flow. And that's so important. And so you don't have to worry about recession. Uh, so f- for my portfolio, each house I purchase is around two hundred to $300,000. And I bought four properties and they're mainly, they're actually bought as three bedroom, two bathrooms, but I look for opportunities to add a fourth and a fifth bedroom. So I have three, four bedrooms now because I added that extra bedroom and I have one five bedroom property. And because I create that extra bedroom, I'm able to charge an extra $620 per month if for each you know, bedroom that I can add. And that really adds a lot of value to the property. For example, for my five bedroom property, I'm making $3,100 per month on the property. When I look on rentometer.com, it used to be a three bed, two bath, uh, it estimated my rent to be only $1,500. So I was able to essentially double the amount of rental income by uh, renting out per bedroom. Sounds familiar. That's really interesting because I I never lived like off campus, but when I remember going to, you know, other people's houses and like the dining room would be a bedroom, like you got a kitchen and a small living room and any extra room was turned into a bedroom. So that's a really interesting strategy. And I never really made that connection before is you want to maximize those bedrooms. And that's why they did that. What do you do for property management? Because I know people who house hack, like Felipe, for example, that rent by the room, not necessarily to college students, they have trouble finding someone who will manage those properties because it is room by room. Yeah, exactly. So I actually self-manage my property. I am a full-time pharmacist and I'm able to self-manage it on the side because I use these systems. I put these systems in place for when things come up, like let's say there's a toilet leak, my tenants know to message or text message my contractor team and they know exactly which number to text message because I have like a sheet for them. Like, okay, if this happens, do this. If this happens, do that. So it's very systematized. I also assign tenants responsibilities as well and kind of empower them, uh, especially if there's like a tenant 
to tenant conflict, I'll tell the tenant who's complaining to talk one-on-one with the other tenant, come up with an action plan, say why you're upset first off, and then come up with an action plan together so that you guys don't have conflicts in the future. And doing things like that really has cut down a lot on a lot of the calls I have or text messages I get from the uh, tenants to manage the property. I love that. And you give all this stuff to them up front when they move in? Yes, exactly. I got a sheet, kind of like an Airbnb, right? They have that sheet for here's Wi-Fi, here's this, here's the (laughs) rules, you know, that type of stuff. Yeah. I love that you made it into like baby steps though. Hey, if the water leaks, you do this, 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 and this. And sometimes you have to do that because I get two types of tenants. I get the tenant that never calls me and tells me until I go figure it out. And by then there's a pool of water in the backyard (laughs) or a hole in my wall. Or I have the tenant that calls me when a light bulb goes out and I don't have anything in between. I don't have like the cool, you know, I have like an extreme on both ends. And what I'm figuring out is kind of like you said, if you just give them the availability to kind of call it in themselves, then it does help out. I think it's great that you're doing that. Like you said, you have little instructions on how to handle certain situations. And like you said, it kind of empowers them to where they can take action on their own. I think that's great. Yeah, exactly. You're cutting out the middleman, really, having your tenants call the contractors directly. Have you had any issues where they've called the contractor for something that they probably shouldn't have called on, that it wasn't even an issue, maybe a false alarm or something that they could have done themselves, like flip a breaker switch, anything like that? That would be my concern as to having them call directly. They're calling every single day for, you know, these minor issues. Right. Yeah, no, I've, I've definitely had that happen before where they kept saying the oven's broken or the oven's making this weird smell or whatever. And the contractor had to come over multiple times. But uh, by then, you know, I basically I do have them check into it. But if after many times, you know, it turns out that nothing is wrong, then I'll just have to talk with the tenant and say, mm-hmm. OK, this is not really um, you shouldn't have to worry about this. You know, uh, the contractor checked into it and we also got like a professional to look into it. Maybe I called up the PG&E company to check into it if there's any gas leaks or if there's any concerns there. But yeah, uh, my contractor is actually my next door neighbor, <laughs> believe oh. it or not, my main <laughs> one. So he's not uh, he's not too worried about just going over next door and checking out if something's wrong. That's so that that's amazing to have next door. Okay, so right before we move to our rookie deal, I'm going to add one more thing. One of the things that we did when we were in college that I that I really liked and I'm, that we're going to implement is the when someone moves into the house, the first $100 worth of repairs is on them. So if, if everything is working, when I get them into the room and let's say the toilet goes out or something happens, I always tell them, hey, the first $100 is on you because I'm giving you the house in working order. So that's another thing where people aren't calling like little dumb things like, hey, the light bulb went out or, you know, things like this. This also empowers them to, hey, I should probably, I can probably fix that. Like it's going to cost me two bucks and, you know, no time. So anyways, there's a little piece of advice. All right, Ryan. So let's move on to the next segment of the show. And for this part, you know, we want to hear about one of your, one of your deals. And we really want you to go into the numbers. We really want you to go in how you found the deal. I mean, from A to Z, break it down as much as possible with as much emphasis on how you got it, money, just the whole outcome. And then at the end, we're also going to ask you how you can break that down for someone else. So go for it. Yeah, exactly. Good good question. Uh, so second deal that I purchased, I'm actually just going to take a typical deal. I'm not going to take my best or worst. I'm going to take an average so you guys can get a good idea of what student housing looks like in terms of the numbers. So I bought my second deal for $315,000. I put 20% down payment on it. The interest rate I got, it was about three years ago, was uh, 3.625%. And then my closing costs was $6,280. And I was able to actually get my closing costs down because I was looking at uh, several lenders. I actually contacted my mortgage broker. I had two mortgage brokers and then like a a lender that I was looking into. So I kind of had them compete a little bit on the the, uh, price for the loan as well to see what interest rate they can give me and lower closing costs if possible. So I kind of had a little bit of a bidding thing going on there. So then I was able to add a fourth bedroom and charge about $620 per bedroom. And then the master bedroom, I was able to actually get a couple into it. So the great thing about renting out per bedroom is to college students is sometimes you can get two people in one bedroom. And usually I charge about 30% more 
for the, the place. So instead of $670 for the master bedroom, I was charging $470 each, which added up to uh, $940 for two people. So all in all, my total rental income was $2,770 per month on that property. And wow. uh, Rentometer, I looked on Rentometer, it's actually $1,600 as expected rent on Rentometer. So I was making 75% more rental income than the expected rental income. That is so cool. Can you um, elaborate you. a little bit onto us about the financing of this deal? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I use conventional financing, you know, through Freddie Mae, Fannie Mac kind of uh, financing, basically. And that I think you can use that all the way up to like five or 10 properties, something like that. So mm -hmm. it turned yeah, out to be 10. the best option for me. I mean, there's definitely other options out there like portfolio lending and all of that. But for me, I have a W-2 job. So it's easy for me to get conventional financing. And I think that's one key for people just getting started. You have, mm -hmm. If you have that source of employee income, it really helps you get some of the best financing out there, really. And then for your down payment, what advice can you give people to help them save for a down payment? Honestly, for me, I kind of grinded it out, right? I was working two jobs. I was working as a hospital pharmacist and a retail pharmacist, and I was working overtime as well because I had that dream, you know, I'm not going to do this forever. In fact, the first day I think I came in to my hospital job as a pharmacist, I asked I was just talking to some of the pharmacists and I was like, oh, what do you like about this particular job? Like, why do you like working here, right? And one of the pharmacists, the senior pharmacist, he, he kind of whispered into my ear. He was like, to be honest, I really hate my job. I'm, I would have <laughs> retired a lot earlier, but I, I need to, you know, collect my paycheck. So I was like, oh man, you know, I don't want to be staring at my, you know, I didn't want it to be like, I'm staring at myself in the mirror right there, like my yeah. future self. So I was like, oh man, I got to get out. I mean, I can't do this forever. I do love working as a pharmacist, but I don't want to be doing this for 20, 30 years. I had all these dreams, like as a kid that I would do other things. Like one of them was like, developing a cure for allergies and real estate kind of allows me eventually to have that freedom to pursue those other ventures. That's really cool. And I have kind of a similar story, but I didn't stick it out like you did. Oh, yeah. I worked as an accountant after I graduated college and I was, so I started full-time in September and by February I was like ready to quit. And I put my two weeks notice in and you know, I wow. said like as one of my excuses, like, you know, the money wasn't what I thought it was going to be. And like the main CPA there was like, you know what, you know, to be honest, like I don't even make that much money, you know, and she was a partner at the firm. And it's like, OK, oh, are, wow. are you trying to persuade me to stay? <laughs> like, This is not helping. And she's like, you know, you don't make a ton of money here, blah, blah, blah. Like you should stick it out and stuff. And it was like this is even more of a reason for me to leave by you like <laughs> say it's like motivation to go do something else. So I can yeah. see why that, you know, how that impacted you, that guy saying that, but it gives you that like a, a glimpse into what your future could be like. And you're like, I don't want that. And that's why you grind and hustle. And that's why I turned into property management, doing real estate instead. Yeah, exactly. I always say work hard now so that your life could be easier later. Right. 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 Mm hmm. You know, it's it's interesting, Ryan, that you mentioned the W-2 situation because I feel like that that comes out a lot. Mm -hmm. A lot of people are like, when do you, how do you know or when do you know that you should quit your job? And I always tell them, you know, well, that really depends on how quickly you want to move in real estate. Because, for example, if you have a high-paying W-2 job, it doesn't even have to be a high-paying W-2 job. It can just be a W-2 job that the bank will allow enough for you to invest in real estate. And a lot of times people quit their job prematurely and then find out that it's harder to get loans if you don't have you know a lot of money, great credit, and two years work history in whatever field you you're in. And with a W two job, sometimes sixty days is enough to be able to start using that job as another weight in getting more investment properties. You go to the bank, you have a job, you have a high paying job. So I think it's it's a great opportunity for some people. And like you said, you're grinding it out, you're grinding that job out so that you can get loans easier as you're investing in real estate, knowing that you're not there forever. You're there for a yeah. time and you're using that job to buy more rentals. My sister yeah. was 21 when she graduated college and she got a letter saying that she would start her part-time job in a couple months and that was enough for her to get a mortgage. Just having wow. that letter that she was going to be starting a job. Uh, so yeah, like Felipe's right. Like it had having that W two job gives you so many opportunities, and not even having to wait 
six months or a couple months. Right, definitely. Yeah, financing is a lot easier. Another tactic I actually used is I tapped into the existing equity on my current house because Mm. my first house went from $262,000 to $320,000 about in the course of two years. So I was able to take out something called a home equity line of credit to tap into that equity and use that as a down payment as well, along with reinvesting the cash flow that I was getting from that property. So really the first house is the hardest to get. But then after that, it kind of becomes like exponential growth. You really can scale it because you can reinvest your cash flow and you can tap into the existing equity on your previous properties. So just the first one, it's the hardest one to get. But once you get that, guys, it it becomes a lot easier down the road. Ryan, walk us through the process of how you did the home equity line of credit and how you use that to buy another rental property, if you would. Yeah, no problem. So home equity line of credit, it's basically like a credit card on a house. You're taking out, like I took out $100,000 of equity on that property because it went up $60,000 and I also paid down a good amount of it. And so I was able to use it kind of like a credit card. It's a variable rate. It's based off of the federal prime rate, they call it. And I think my rate was around 5% or so, or 5.5% at the time. And so you pay that interest on that that money. But if you're making a return on investment of like 20% or 30% cash on cash return, then it makes the whole lot of sense because you're paying only 5% interest on that money you're taking out, but you're making 20% or 30% returns on where you put that money. So that's why a HELOC is so powerful. How did you use yours, Ryan? Like for a personal experience, can you walk us through how you used yours to finance a deal? And can you walk us kind of through the numbers? Yeah. So I took out $100,000 and then I put $80,000 toward my fourth property to purchase it as a a down payment because HELOC money can be used as a down payment for a property. And that's how you can, that's how I leveraged my money there. As far as the payment, there's like a 10 month or no, a 10 year period where you don't really have to pay toward the principal. You pay only interest if you want to, Uh, but it's like a credit card. So if you wanted to pay it all off, the next day, you can. Like if you had $100,000 at your disposal, you can just pay off the whole loan right then and there. And then the day after that, you can take out $50,000. So it's like a flexible credit card, basically, with very low interest rates. I really like that analogy of it's like a credit card. That is a perfect way to explain it. And I've never heard yeah. anyone you know, make that comparison. But it's true. You swipe it or you draw the money off when you need it and you're paying interest on what you owe and then you pay it back. Except the line of credit has a lot better interest than a credit card would. (laughs) Except I just started using actually 0% interest credit cards. Like I was amazed at like how many out there are actually available and how easy it is to get those. So I started using those to cover my rehab costs where it's like 18 months before interest would be due on them and my rehabs will be refinanced and closed by then. That's another great strategy. That's been interesting. Yeah, yeah. So what's going on with this deal now? You you have it rented. What else is happening with it? Yeah, so actually with COVID coming on, my school actually unfortunately closed for the fall semester. But I was still able to get oh, no. uh, tenants, believe it or not, because there's still people out there who want to study with their friends. There's graduate students who have mm-hmm. to come in and do their lab work. Even some of the students actually still have to come in and do their lab work. So I was able to still get tenants, but I had to do a lot more uh, pushing to get tenants. I uh, advertise on these Facebook groups, like class of 20, you know, 2022 to get my tenants. And then what I do nowadays is I hop on a call with them and ask them, what are any of your concerns or objections you might have to staying at my property? And then maybe I could provide a discount for them if a budget is a main concern for them and all that. Do they Mm -hmm. want like a larger bedroom or a smaller bedroom, that type of stuff. And that, that kind of adds that personal touch that really helped me uh, pretty much fill my all of my rooms to full occupancy. I only have, I think, two rooms left to fill. So I'm almost at max occupancy still. Wow, that's great. What did you do during the spring? Was the school shut down and everybody sent home? And did you let anybody out of their lease during that time? Or did everyone yeah, stick in it? Yeah, it was kind of a tough time. They yeah. did sign a one-year lease. <laughs> a lot of them actually didn't ask about it. But Mm -hmm. there were some who asked, like, can I leave early, right? And so what I did was let them out a month early 
just kind of mm-hmm. as a compromise. Right, um, yeah. And I also allow them to sublease to other people who might be interested in staying. Mm-hmm. So there were some other houses where one person was leaving and everyone was on one lease. So the other three people had to find a place to stay. And so I ended up taking in some of those tenants as subleasers, basically. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. yeah, that's interesting. What is another challenge of having rent by the room? Like, do you ever, like how you just said that, like one person left and then there was three that needed somewhere to go. Do you have, do you ever deal with roommates bickering and fighting? And I know you said you have your, your action plan. Can you elaborate a little bit more on that? Because I mean, I've dealt with people in a duplex fighting, but actually living in the same house, that would drive me crazy. Or maybe you have a great story to tell us. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, definitely. I have a lot of great stories. (laughs) Uh, So one of them, I would say that happens about once or twice a year. You can expect Mm -hmm. that to happen once or twice a year. The first time it happened, I had a tenant who smoked a lot of pot. And this was actually when it was illegal back then too in California. So that was a big issue. He also played a lot of loud music. And so the neighbors were complaining and uh, the cops actually got called to come over to see what was going on. And so my tenant was, you know, one of my tenants was complaining and said, dude, this guy, he's causing a lot of trouble. I think he's bad for the house. And I was like, okay, I'll go talk with him. Right. And that was a big mistake because I talked with him and said, oh, the other tenant complained. And then as soon as I said that, the other guy was like, dude, the guy's talking behind my back. I'm not okay with this. You know, so the drama just got worse because he was like, the other tenants don't respect me. I'm unhappy. You know, and it really just got even worse. Eventually, I had to talk with the tenant's parents. And then they had no idea that their son was, you know, smoking pot and all that. But they had a talk with him. And then that basically after that, that solved the issue. So I could always go to that. But there's always, um, I guess, a step-by-step process. I realize it's better to have them talk one-on-one with each other to, mm-hmm. so I don't have that this guy is talking behind right. my back type of issue. And then maybe I'll talk with them one-on-one and then go to the parents. So having that system in place was very important for me. Another thing I had to deal with at the beginning was actually filling the rooms, believe it or not. I had uh, trouble filling the rooms because I wasn't good at advertising. So I created this system of advertising that I teach my current mentees because I teach people uh, student housing, um, how to get into student housing. And it's called the PRIME method. Um, P stands for placement of advertisements. So first you have to kind of determine where your target tenants hang out. Because if you're advertising in a place where your target tenants don't even hang out, then you're just fishing in an empty pond, right? So what I do is I go onto these Facebook groups right? College or class of 2022, textbook exchange group, off-campus housing group. I also talk with the student government and sometimes they're able to hang up my flyers on the the boards around the school campus. So just basically kind of thinking about where your target tenant hangs out and putting the advertisements there. That's placement of advertisements. R is uh, review social media. So that means I kind of do like a background check by reviewing their Facebook. I look for any smoking, drugs, alcohol, if they're like a party type of tenant who goes to a bunch of raves, or if they're more studious and they're like maybe a medical student, pharmacy student, or dental student where they need to really focus on their studies. So I really do target those third or fourth year students. Hey, are you, you're saying you're target nerdy students that have the, <laughs> the good careers? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> uh, the straight A students only, no. <laughs> uh, but, you know, ones who are definitely more focused on their schoolwork rather than wanting to just throw a house party, right? Right. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah for sure. Probably a lot less damage. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I and Prime stands for identifying the type of tenant. So I try to figure out, are they just a tenant who wants the cheapest deal? versus the one who wants the best quality bedroom available. So it's like the difference between staying at a Motel 6 versus the Ritz-Carlton, right? Some people want the Ritz-Carlton, but other people just want the Motel 6. They just want a place to stay. So those types of people who just want a place to stay, I'll put them in the smaller bedroom. And the ones who want a nice bedroom, higher quality, I'll put them in the master bedroom, right? M stands for measuring responsiveness. So I kind of determine how fast they're getting back to me in the, when I give them paperwork or when I give them a task, task to do. So usually the ones who get back to me right away, they end up being more responsible tenants versus the ones they sit on it for a couple of weeks, then I might have problems down the line. Like if I were to contact them about late rent, I want them to get back to me right away, right? I don't want them waiting 
like an extra three weeks to say, oh, sorry, I just saw this message. Here's the rent, you know. So measuring that responsiveness really determines how responsible they are as a tenant. And then E, the final step is ensuring proof of income. So always asking for, for me, I ask for last two month bank statements or a credit score. I also ask for like student loans or pay stubs, just any proof of income that they can show to make sure that the parents can afford the uh, rent on the house. So you do have the parents co-sign? I do. Most times I do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Awesome. So when you have people move in, so I'm going to, I'm going to ask you a couple of questions and you can just kind of fire them back. Do you have them split the bills or do you cover the bills in accordance just with the rent that you charge? I have them. Uh, so I get the utility bills and I split it among them. Some of the houses I actually have one tenant, like especially if they're all friends, I'll have one tenant uh, have the bills under their name and then they basically pay the bill and split it among their rest of their friends. Because I do this with like 60 tenants, right? And oh, wow. the, what I have found, yeah, I have a lot of them. Uh, what I have found is that at first that method worked for me, but mm-hmm. then I quickly found out that a person might have a mini fridge in their room. And one guy might have a 72-inch plasma flat screen up on his wall and using a lot more electricity than the other person's. So I quickly found out that that method wasn't going to work. And what I did was I just upped everyone's rent to cover the cost of bills. And I just assumed my bill was always going to be high. <laughs> so I, I took that out quickly. So that's why I was wondering how, how you do it. You know, splitting the cost of the bills quickly turned negative for me because they were like, oh, well, he uses a lot more hot water than I do. I take five-minute showers. He takes 45-minute showers. So I was just wondering how other people are handling that situation. I mean, yeah, there's no wrong way for sure. Uh, For me, I do prefer the system that I use because it kind of incentivizes them to save money by turning off all the lights and, you know, maybe not running the AC down to 71 degrees Fahrenheit, right? So I prefer doing it this way, having them pay for whatever they're using because they are in full control of their, their bill, right? It's not like a set amount. So that's why, yeah, that's why I did what I, I have, did. I have a nest and I control it if they get too happy with it. If, they, uh, <laughs> if I look, I have <laughs> notification. If it gets down to like, you know, 71, 72 or yeah. lower, I'm like, all right, guys, what's going on? I just crank it up on them. And they, I've gotten a couple messages, but they end up catching on pretty quick. Another thing that I've noticed, if, if I just leave the fan running in the house, I might have to change the filters more often, but the AC gets circulated better. So it's always helped out a little bit more. Ryan, let right. me ask you something about when you are renting by the room, when you put their parents on the lease, do you ask the same information from the parents as you do from the kid in regards to the application? Usually I get like for the contact information, I get that from the kid, but for the parents, I usually get the bank statements and FICO scores. So usually it's not actually the kid's bank statements, it's the parents' bank statements that I ask for. And, and then do you get that. a deposit per room? Yeah, I get a security deposit of one and a half times the month's rent to ensure if, you know, if I end up with holes in the wall, right, I could use the security deposit to cover that bill. But I never had any issues with actually holes in the walls or the place being super trashed. I usually have a maid come in once a year anyways to clean up the whole property. I've never had any major party type tenants. And again, that's due to the targeting. I look for studious tenants, usually third or fourth year students who are more mature, had their party life is out of the way, right? And their pharmacy, medical professionals. So yeah. Jeez, Felipe, we would never be allowed to live in Ryan, one of Ryan's houses. <laughs> I would not. I would not be in Ryan's you house. Big partiers, huh? I'm, no, not at all. I would, I, would, I would just go on to the next rent by the room. Jeez, I might as well rent an apartment. But that's actually really smart though. I mean, you're dealing with, you're dealing with kids that are under 24 years old, right? I think every city has its niche. And, and for example, I rent to traveling professionals who are in the construction business or know how to operate a certain crane and, and, and they're brought up from another state to live in this state to run that for 18 months or whatever. So, you know, I, I mine's a little bit different. I can't necessarily ask for certain things. For me, it's more like, hey, how long is your contract here? And, you know, it's never, I've never not been paid rent. Ryan, one last thing before we, we move on is how do you handle when someone doesn't pay the rent? Like, how do you evict someone from a room? Oh, I've never actually had that issue before. Uh, just That's because, great. <laughs> yeah, was, to be honest, the student housing, what parent is going to want their kid being evicted from the place they're staying in at college, mm-hmm. right? So I've never actually ran into that issue before, but I do keep that hefty security deposit. So if mm-hmm. I do get unpaid rent, I could use that toward that rent. 
Towards that. I like that. Okay, mm-hmm. awesome. Mm-hmm. Well, I want to move us on to our next segment. And this one is where I want to find out who is a key player in your business and who has really helped you grow your real estate portfolio. So this could be a lender, an attorney, uh, whoever. And we call this segment the MVP, MVP, MVP. (laughs) All right. When Bigger Pockets started podcasting, no one thought we needed a store, but then books, so many books, best-selling books, rookie books, partnership books. We needed the best real estate bookstore ever, so we chose Shopify. <coughs> Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch stage to the first order stage to the did we just sell out the whole store stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling real estate books or retro clothing, Shopify's platform helps you sell everywhere, online or in person. Now, speaking of online, did you know Shopify has the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better than other leading commerce platforms? And no matter how big you grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control of your business. And that's why we chose Shopify for the Bigger Pockets Bookstore. So sign up for a $1 per month trial at shopify.com slash bprookie, all lowercase. Again, go to shopify.com slash bprookie now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash bprookie. Whether you need to buy or sell or you're just obsessed with looking at homes for sale, Redfin's got you covered. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes to help you see new homes first. And they give you personalized recommendations based on the homes you like, so you can find the home that's just right for you, whether that's a cabin, a craftsman, or a castle. With the top-rated Redfin app, you can favorite homes, share listings with others, and schedule tours, even the same day, with a local Redfin agent who can help guide you through the whole home buying process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents have the experience to help get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put towards what matters most to you, like your next home. In fact, last year, Redfin saved home sellers $127 million. No matter where you are in your real estate journey, Redfin can help. Download the Redfin app to get started today. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that a long time ago, before I ever started my real estate business, I turned one of my first primary residences into an Airbnb? And that's the extra income that I needed from Airbnb that gave me the confidence to go out and work for myself and eventually quit my 9-to-5 job. And now I have dozens of Airbnbs all over the country. I've even partnered up with the old David Green on a recent property in Scottsdale to take our portfolio to the next level. And of course, we host it on Airbnb. But you don't need to be a full-time real estate investor to start on Airbnb. As a matter of fact, I was self-managing 10 properties while working my 9-to-5 job, so I know anybody can do it. Think about it this way. You're looking for extra income and going on a vacation. Wouldn't it be great to rent out your space and let your property pay for itself while you're gone? I did this one time. I pitched my wife and my roommate because we were house hacking on the idea of renting out our home, and it paid for all of our expenses on a trip to Mexico City. So go and give it a try. It might just change your life just like it did mine. And I really do mean that. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. So Ryan, I want to know who is that MVP, that most valuable player on your team? Yeah, so my MVP would definitely be my real estate agent, believe it or not. He was the first guy I ever got in contact with in terms of my first partner and like looking at real estate. He really broke down what I should be looking for in a deal because he invests in rentals himself. He actually has five rentals himself. So he was able to show me, hey, you know, look at this part of the house. I don't like this part. Maybe you should consider actually purchasing another place, right? This probably isn't the best place for college students. He would also like give me like off-market listings as well because he knew exactly what I was looking for. Um, He knew I wanted that value add where I could add that extra bedroom. And so he was definitely a key player and just everything, the whole process, making it easier. He was very responsive. He had, uh, he was very professional as well. And that taught me kind of how to be more responsible, responsive to my tenants, treat my tenants with respect and treat them professionally too. It kind of rubbed off onto me. And so at the, the last house I, uh, 
purchase, I actually cut him a $1,000 check in appreciation for all the hard work he'd done. Usually the seller, you know, pays the commission. So he already gets commission from the seller, but I, you know, like to give back as well. So I treat him out to dinner and I also did, uh, gave him a $1,000 check just as a, a thank you. But so it's really like treating, if you treat your team right, you know, more deals will come to you. It's, it's really the law of reciprocity, right? Also treating your tenants right, and then they'll treat you right as well. You know, I couldn't agree more, Ryan, because one, that $1,000 is probably going to be a drop in the bucket compared to how many deals, you know, the realtor is going to find for you because he's going to think of you first when things come to come to market or even before they come onto market, which is those mm-hmm. amazing off-market deals. So how would you tell our listeners how they could find a rockstar realtor like the one you found? Like, what is it that attracted you and vice versa? Oh, definitely. Bigger Pockets is one of uh, the best resources to they have a place where you can look up the real estate agent by wherever you live. Right. And you can re- read through the reviews and see, like, are they an honest person? So things I look for is honesty, responsiveness, knowledge of the local market and years of experience. So just looking on Bigger Pockets, you can also go on Yelp and even do a Google search for real estate agents in your area and just read through the reviews and see what type of person they are and how many years of experience. And that's how I found, I really connected with this real estate agent. Did you just look at him and you're like, okay, he'll be my agent? Or did you look at multiple agents? I looked at multiple agents. So I definitely read through all the reviews. I called them up. I actually did interview them as well. So two questions I ask on when I interview a real estate agent is, one, are you a real estate investor yourself? Because the ones who are real estate investors themselves, they know exactly what I'm looking for, right? And two, do you work with other real estate investors? So that kind of helps them. Or you find the what the best real estate agent for you because someone who's just uh, selling a house to a family, the family's going to look for something totally different than a real estate investor looking to rent out the house to other tenants. Ryan, that was the perfect answer I was looking for because that has been a common theme on this podcast is people say when they found that great person is they interviewed a ton of people. They didn't just take the easy route and be like, oh, well, here's the first person that comes up on Google. I'll just call them and hire them or do something with them. (laughs) So that's great. Great job, you know, knowing exactly the answer I wanted to hear. Thank you. Felipe, do you want to take us to the next segment? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, Ryan. So we're going to move on to the next segment of the show. And this part is called the Rookie Request Line. All right. We're going to read you off a question. You're going to be able to answer that. and, And we're going to go from there. Okay. Sounds good. All right, let's go. And just so you remember, guys, anyone can leave a question at one 888 and you can leave us a voicemail and we might be able to use it on the next show. Hey, my name is Lola, and I was just calling to find out about bookkeeping. If you have multiple properties, would you say that you open up a new bank account for each property for your tenants to pay rent? I know there are so many apps these days, so I'm not sure if an app is the best way, but if you have multiple properties, what's your suggestion for how to keep, I guess, the numbers separate, the CapEx separate, you know, just to make sure each property is performing properly. Thank you. That's a great question. So I do have one bank account for all four properties. I use the Zelle app as a payment app and it does direct deposit. So it tells you exactly when everybody paid the rent. So I can tell if they pay late rent or not. And I have a five day grace period as well. After those five days is considered late. Let's see, what else do I do? I do do my own bookkeeping and I have an Excel spreadsheet to keep track of everything. And I also write checks to my contractors. So I also have that checkbook that I can refer back to to see when, what did I pay him and what date did I pay him? But yes, I do do my own keep bookkeeping. Eventually, I'll probably hire out for that. But at the beginning, because I want to save that money in self-managing my property, I can do that. And plus, I'm also pretty good, savvy with numbers, right? So I, I like doing it. You know, it's not, it's not a big issue for me to put numbers into a, a spreadsheet and keep track of my finances. And plus, it also helps me really understand if I'm making profit or not, you know, and what areas I can improve on because I'm examining them as I put the numbers in. I'm like, okay, this house, maybe this house has a really high energy bill. Why is that, right? Maybe do I have to change the filters on the heater and the AC? Maybe that might help out or things like that. I like that. And, And you're right. I've actually changed all my light bulbs 
to like the the LEDs LED. and yep. yeah, and then LED, all my definitely. all my filters are actually washable. So I I paid a high price for them, but I I don't have to buy them anymore. So what I do is I can take it out, I take it outside, I hose it down, I dry it off, and I can put it right back in. So I'm able to reuse that, recycle it, and now I don't have to you know continue to buy them. And then so those are some of the things that I have, as well as I don't have any lights outside except on the front because people just flick the lights on and leave them. But that's all here and there. But hey, Ryan, real quick, before we move on to the to the four questions where we want to get to know you a little bit better, what is one piece of advice that you would give our listeners if they want to get into the rent by the room game when they're first starting out? Yeah, definitely. I would say the first thing is, I mean, there's a couple of things you could do, definitely. But the first thing is trying to identify the market that you're going to invest in. Because if I invested in Sacramento area, the cash flow wouldn't make as much sense. Right. So for me, I was able to go an hour away, right, and invest in a place where the houses are almost half the price of where I'm currently living. And that's where the cash flow makes sense. Another thing is actually finding a mentor. I highly recommend it. Find someone who does exactly what you want to do, whether it be flipping, student housing, or whatnot, and you know, get in contact with them and just kind of get to know them and give value to them, right? And then they can give you value back and provide that expert advice, right? So you don't run into a lot of the same mistakes that they ended up running into. Look for people who really care about the people they're trying to help out, right? They really care about their tenants. They really care about their team and they really want to give back and sincerely want to help other people out. Those are the type of people you want to look for. Ryan, how do you find that person? How do you find a mentor that's sincere? I would say you know, bigger pockets is one of the best way to make a lot of the connections. I've connected with a lot of people through the forums as well. Just reaching out and saying, hey, you know, I'm thinking of starting to getting started in real estate investing, introducing yourself and just have a conversation, maybe even get them on a phone call. Right. I actually had uh, th- this pat or t- two weekends ago, I guess I had I was able to meet fully based friend Diego Cortez and he does nice. like a bunch of mentoring and listening to him talk about like how passionate he was and like he doesn't do it for the money he you know he has his whole real estate empire and right. he's a millionaire but he just listening to him talk about helping people and what he wants to do with it and everything it was so exciting and so inspiring to hear mm-hmm. that and those are the kinds of people you want to find to help you where they're talking about it passionately they're trying to you know they're telling someone else how much they love doing it those are the people you want to look for, for, for mentoring. Exactly. Yeah. That that was really cool to talk to him and just see that like passion. And I've experienced that before, like listening to people talk about something and you just, the passion like radiates out of them and you're like, I want to work with them or (laughs) I want, you know, I want to be around that excitement, that passion. Oh yeah, definitely. Just the vibe when you talk with that person or you hear them speak. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Ryan, we're going to ask you a couple of random questions just to get you know you a little bit better, specifically in the niche of real estate that you're in. And my first question is going to be, Ryan, how hard, what kind of insurance, what do you have to do to your houses when you rent by the room regarding insurance? Regarding insurance. So I do compare a quote. I get like a couple quotes, right, for homeowners insurance. And then I just choose, the, um, of course, one of the best options and kind of look what they're covering. Exactly. But I, I would say, to be honest, I don't really look into it, you know, super hard or anything like that. Do you just, do you ask the tenants to get their own insurance, like renter's insurance? Oh, yes. Yeah. That, yes. I definitely mentioned that at the beginning. We do recommend rental insurance. It's only like $10 a month or something like that. And it covers things like uh, stolen items, right? The other thing, actually, I forgot to mention is I actually do do umbrella insurance. It's a little bit different than an LLC where you incorporate, it does limit your liability. It basically covers anything that your normal insurance policy would not, like if costs that go over your normal insurance policy, the umbrella insurance policy might cover. And it's pretty cheap. It's uh, cheaper than the LLC. I forget what the price was, but it seemed to me to be one of the better options out there. So that's what I chose. Good answer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what I have too on some of my properties is yeah. the umbrella policy. So my random question, and we haven't actually asked this in a while, is what would be a good book recommendation mm-hmm. 
that you would like our listeners to read. So this could be either a real estate book, maybe even a personal finance book. I mean, you've obviously been able to save and work hard to to make these down payments. What Are there any books out there you would recommend for people to read? Yeah, there was actually a book I read not too long ago. Uh, I It's hard to remember the name. It was written by Brendan Bouchard. It was like the eight successful or six habits that successful people have. And it goes through, like, I don't know if you guys remember the name, but it goes through getting clarity on your goals. It goes through, you know, creating energy to... Oh, is it the high performance habits? Yes, book? that's the one. Yeah, high performance habits. I sound habits. super smart, but I just Google it. But I do, I have read that book. <laughs> Ryan, did you hear how she said it? Oh, is it the six... Like, she didn't just Google it. <laughs> she was like... Yeah, that is a great book. It is, right? I would say that was one of the better books I read to kind of work on the mindset piece. And it goes over like how to, you know, develop your team and everything, right? In any area of life. So what's one action? Sorry, Felipe, I'm stealing the next question. What's one action item you incorporate, like you took from that book and you've incorporated into your life or one habit? Yeah. So one of them is that first chapter is about clarity, getting clarity Mm -hmm. on your goals. So I do a lot of journaling in the morning to kind of see, you know, like, what can I appreciate today? Having that attitude of gratitude. I also do five to 10 minutes of meditation in the morning as well. And then kind of really think about what are my goals for today and setting the intention for each day. And so that really sets you up for success every day, you know, that you, you wake up basically. Right. <laughs> I couldn't agree that's more, awesome. Ryan. I think that's, that's really cool. Really funny. It looked like when Ashley was Googling the name of the book, have you guys seen, what's that movie where what's his name becomes like God or whatever. And he's like typing out all the emails really, really fast. <laughs> it's uh, Bruce Almighty. Bruce, Bruce Almighty. Almighty. Yeah. <laughs> Have you seen that? Ashley looked like that when she that was, was like typing one. out the book. <laughs> <laughs> but I was trying to go super fast. <laughs> that was so lame. That's so funny. I bet Google was like, cannot compute what you're talking about. Anyways. All right, moving on. <laughs> Ryan. So oh, what, what, what is one piece of technology you say you self-manage, right? So give us a couple apps that you use to self-manage your properties that others could probably find really useful as well. I would say, honestly, I'm not super fancy. I do have that Zelle app, which does do direct deposit. I use Excel for my spreadsheets and I use Zillow to find listings as well. Even when they hop, I have Zillow send me emails. So if there's a really good listing that pops up, I'll hop on it on the first day that comes out. I'll see property and the next day I'll offer on the property. And because I had that first jump on it, I really eliminate a lot of the competition for people who might look at it later. Do you do your screening through Zillow too? Do you do background and credit checks? Or yeah, you said you did that. How do you, what program do you use for that? I usually actually just have them email me those Oh, so they do it. Okay. So like they would print off their credit karma. Okay. Okay, cool. Stuff like that. Yeah. Uh Or a screenshot of their credit score if that can be done. Mm -hmm. Some uh, banks usually provide like just like an estimate of the FICO score. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for all of this information today, Ryan. Yeah, no problem. Happy to help and kind of give back to you guys as well. Yeah. Where can um, people find out more information about you and possibly reach you? Yeah. So I actually offer this uh, free PDF for newbies just trying to get into the student housing market or interested in the student housing market or just trying to get started in real estate even. And you can find that on my homepage on my website, which is www.newbierealestateinvesting.com. That's www.newbierealestateinvesting.com. And newbie is spelled N-E-W-B-I-E. Hey, come on, Ryan. You're trying to steal our rookies and turn them into newbies. No, no, no. <laughs> no definitely not. That's not my intention. <laughs> and are you in the, the Facebook uh, rookie page too? Yes, I think I am. Okay, I think I, well, yeah, we'll make yeah. sure you're in there so that people have asked questions, they can uh, reach you there. And definitely yes. check out Ryan's website and we will add it to the show notes at biggerpockets.com forward slash rookie 34 or is this 35 Felipe I think I'm wrong you are absolutely wrong this is 35 (laughs) Ryan thank you so much for coming out man we'll talk to you later brother all right right. thank you
The market is changing and finding your way can be tricky. Rates shift, headlines whirl, but your goal hasn't changed. You want financial freedom. And the best investors know it's not about timing the market. It's about time in the market. If you're ready to get into the real estate investing game or take your game to the next level, finding an investor-friendly agent is your next step. With BiggerPockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in minutes. Just head to biggerpockets.com slash deals, enter a few details about what and where you want to buy, and boom, instantly match with an investor-friendly agent who fits the bill. These local market experts can help you navigate the neighborhoods, analyze the numbers, and take action with confidence once and for all. There's free resources only available at biggerpockets.com slash deals. Get an agent, get the deal, and get closer to financial freedom at biggerpockets.com slash deals. That's biggerpockets.com slash deals to find your investor-friendly agent today. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all host and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. BiggerPockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.